So Cameron, you know how I mentioned that my lady recently, her parents got a new house up in some disclosed location that I'm not going to leave on the air. And it has like this super open like floor plan, right? Yeah. The thing about like one of these nice, super fancy, like smart mansion houses or whatever is that like they have these integrated speaker systems in the ceiling, right? Mm. And I didn't realize, but apparently when you watch a film like on the TV in the open living area, like this, the the sound comes through the speakers. And so I was watching like Lilo and Stitch, which I, I don't know why. I was just like, I'm going to watch some of this because I needed something to do. And um, like we were about to leave and go somewhere. And it completely, completely threw me off guard because there was like basically this like surround sound experience where the audio would just start like, like, like it, the, the really the reaction was is they brought this spaceship in at the beginning of Stitch's trial, right? You know, the beginning of that film, right? Mm-hmm. And the doors open up and it's like the doors open behind me. It freaked me out, dude. I was like, I was like, what just happened behind me in the house? And I was like, oh, it's the movie. I've never had, I've never had a visceral audio experience um when watching a movie like that not to say it was overwhelming but it was kind of much you know i i I wanted to kind of pick your brand on it because i know you know a lot about um the uh the correct movie viewing method and that pairs with audio do you have like a ton of experience with surround sound or anything like that is that a need for a movie expert like yourself yeah well i do know a bit about surround sound um it's 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 interesting because there's definitely like variations where you get like deeper and deeper into surround sound. Um, probably what you're talking about is like an extra layer of like, cause there's 7.1 or there's 5.1, there's 7.1, there's 7.2, which has two bases. Um, and then there's 9.2, which is like that. I think that's as big as it goes basically. Um, and essentially at that point you're like, you're in an area where things are coming i don't even know if much content or media like comes in 9.2 mixed surround sound usually the max is 7.2 is is really what you get um so but then there's something called dolby atmos which which has front speakers that also project towards the top it goes like up uh towards the ceiling and then bounces back to you. It, it's crazy. There's like so much variation. And now people are getting into like 3D sound mastering. And um, yeah, there's just different standards for it. But prob- right, probably right. what you were hearing was just um, was either 7.1 or 5.1. That was just like well uh, placed in the room to make that sort of 3D sound effect. So I actually think it's opposite. I felt like it was placed in a way that reverberated in the open floor plan mm. so it almost made it too real sounding where it was like the huge hangar doors in the movie opened but it sounded like something large open behind me as well. i was like what what just happened you know i was just i was it, it was it was a little too much i almost felt like i i couldn't enjoy a film in that particular scenario but who knows you know hmm Hmm. Yeah, uh, that that is interesting. I mean, I think there's definitely different acoustics to 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 different rooms. Um, I think best your best bet is to have like a room that's really kind of closed in and has like sound dampening, uh, and then your speakers are placed in a in an appropriate angle. Um, but honestly, it's hard to get the best sound in any room. Honestly, like it's 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 a tough challenge, especially rooms that are huge and open. 
Well, it's time, Isaac. It's time. Enough fooling around. To stop talking about rooms, <laughs> yeah. Hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is actually one that is technically in the cinematic canon. I'm not even joking about this one. It is a serious film for serious historians of film. Uh it is Metropolis, directed by Fritz Lang, starring Gustav Froelich and Bridget Helm. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing? I'm good. Just call me Jehoshaphat, and let's go build the Tower of Babel. You know what I mean? Because that's <laughs> a, a reference. Those are, those are some of the, the words that I pulled away from this German uh you know, exhibit, I guess is probably the best way of labeling it. Mm. Yeah, mm. it's sci-fi month. Um, I'm doing well for no good reason. I'm just good. Not that anything's changed in my life. I'm just trying to be a little bit more positive with it, Cameron. That's good. I don't know if I mentioned this on the show, but I started doing this thing where it was like, I start my days by just sitting and doing absolutely nothing for five minutes, and it's changed my life, dude. I'm so prone to just be stressed and doing too much, and I have to recommend it to our audience. I love you guys too much. You got to try it. Just sit there. The world is not going to burn if you just sit there for five minutes. Mm. It's a great stress um, mechanism, something to to fight all the things you're worrying about, you know? It's going to be okay. I think you were telling me this uh, when we were chatting last time, but uh, yeah, no, that's definitely an interesting strategy. Uh, I think most people, when they get up, are like, oh, I'm I'm tired. I have to get to what I'm doing. So I get why people don't do it. But yeah, definitely. I I think a good a good little couple minute meditation is is uh, is probably a good idea. Good for the mental health. Um, well, have you been watching anything spectacular? I will just say I have not really been watching much, but I did go see another movie in theaters on Saturday, and I'll tell you about that after you tell me about what you're watching. I have regrettably watched the Snyder Cut twice for Justice League, once with my brother and once with my father. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I I don't have any real explanation of why I sat through it, but let me just say that the movie is good and it completely nosedives in the end. The ending is just horrific. Like like mm. just one of and I'm not talking about like the final confrontation. I'm talking about like the weird tacked on studio scenes that are like, "Oh, this is like a Marvel like, uh, you know, end credit scene, but it's just terrible." Like 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 pulling teeth like shoving a knife slowly in between your your hand tendons dude like that's like the best way i can describe it, it is just <laughs> it's just wretched i can't even i can't even but the you know the rest of it is an interesting thing to kind of observe it's it's good overall mm-hmm. interesting yeah that is way too many hours for me to commit to watching something that i probably am not going to enjoy um although i will say we do have sort of I mean, not really plans, but we've talked about watching it together. Um, so are you ready to sit down for a third time? This is like me with Tenet, yep. basically. <laughs> uh, subjecting myself. I know. Yeah, I, I'm kind of, I'm there more for the experience of your viewing. You know, like I'd be more interested to see what you, what your take on it yeah. is. That's what really like kind of 
pulls me mm. into mm. it all. Interesting. So. Well, I watched a movie called Minari. It's a uh, uh, it's I think it's playing in theaters right now and as well as streaming somewhere. I'm not really sure, but uh, I did go see it in theaters. It's starring Steven Yoon from The Walking Dead. Um, and a little boy who I forget his name, but he is just the best thing in the world. Uh, he is so good in this movie. He won an award, I think. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I don't follow any awards, but, um, y- you know, there's, he was, he was incredible. He was probably the best child actor I've ever seen. Um, in a movie. I, I can't think of any that I liked more than him. Um, other than that, yeah, it's just a really sweet movie. It's very uh, endearing. It's one that I think has a lot of heart and a lot of personality uh, and is very true to life, I would say. So, yeah, check that out uh, if you want something else to watch for this uh, sort of slow couple of months. But, yeah, that, that I would definitely, definitely recommend watching Minari. Cool. Yeah, I want to go back to the theaters, Cameron. I know you were talking about how you've seen a few, and I just had this like overwhelming call today where I was just like, I want to go eat junk food in a theater with that like gross popcorn, and just I just want to do it. Like I haven't done it in so long. There's something about it that is surprisingly calling me back. So we'll see if uh, I can ever get my butt out there, Cameron. This, of course, is Cinema Spectator. You can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. Throw a couple dollars away. Get ex- an exclusive commentary track each month. Have your questions read on the show or comments or whatever. Uh, shout out to our Patreon, Juzo, the only one who voted with his great democratic ability on the um, commentary track last month. He commented recently that democracy is under attack. Uh, we're just going to ignore that as great dictators and yeah um give us all your money there we go uh you can also tell friends and family that's how the show grows we appreciate all you guys uh, that support us in any way that you can we get it if the money's tight um but it always helps to keep the show going this is sci-fi month we're starting with metropolis cameron give us a little bit of backdrop uh for our video watchers i'm gonna go flip on my light because it got so dark all of a sudden in this room so (laughs) tell us about it yeah, definitely. Um, Metropolis is an interesting story in terms of, um, I guess, how and when it was made. It was made in 1927 by Fritz Lang in Germany. Um, this is a German movie. It was kind of at the height of uh, what's known as the German Expressionist movement. Um, it is one that uh, was pretty short-lived in terms of its, you know, its relevance in in its time, but was was fairly well documented and um, influential in in terms of how it sort of influenced the 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 coming generations. Um, expression uh, the, the German expressionism is uh, it, it's essentially a um, a movement that uh, was not really focused on on realism or explanatory um, uh, the the power of like visual expression explanations in in terms of film it was really much more about uh creating an artistic formal experience something that was that was sort of um outside of of what was real outside of depicting real um real events so this 
was one of the earliest pioneers of um, of the sci-fi genre, uh, but it really took its roots in sort of the what's known as um, the Expressionist period. Uh, Fritz Lang it was was an extremely important uh, name in this in this time, and yeah, no, he had he had sort of maybe the biggest impact on on the movement. Um, I do want to say that as much as this is considered a, a, a sort of a sci-fi movie, um, one of the precursors of sci-fi, it probably wasn't looked at as as sort of a sci-fi movie in its day. Um, it was probably looked more because that that term didn't really. Um, I guess it was it was kind of around. Um, it might have been looked contemporarily as as a sci-fi movie, but I think it might it, it probably fit more into um, sort of that movement of German expressionism. So, uh, did want to just throw that out there because uh, since, since we'll be talking about it, um, yeah. Uh, did you need any more sort of preamble, or should we just get into? Uh, this crazy movie. Oh, I do want to just say, but sorry, before that, um, uh, this is my first time watching this. So I have never seen Metropolis before. Um, and I watched it for this podcast and I think this conversation will probably be more of a review or a straightforward review in terms of, you know, since this is our first time watching it. Um, but other than that, I mean, I just wanted to be upfront with that. So yeah, no, I know that there are a lot of people who have said a lot of things about this film um, because it's pretty old and for some reason uh, influential. I'm not. I I think one of the things that really drew me in with this movie was almost just how old it was and how it was even operating or holding together. The footage alone is like barely barely kept alive somehow you know that's how old this movie is right there are just scenes where it's like you can tell the film itself had been somewhat destroyed they don't have like whatever the the raw or golden copy is i don't know what that's called um but yeah i don't know the the exact history but it's like this thing survived the test of time and 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 i think that's really its large appeal if you want to go back and visit this movie Overall, I thought it was a fine film that had a lot of elements that can be seen in modern sci-fi to this day. There's an Orwellian, like, dystopian connection to this kind of um, movie. And, you know, you look at the cover and instantly as someone who plays a lot of video games, I'm like, oh, this looks like Bioshock or something like that, right? Like, there's so much that this film... Um, does in style that other creators in the future have executed on with like modern technology and ability, right? So I I don't want to discredit how maybe um, special it was at the time, but I don't even... Are there people that are even alive from 1927? No, dude. Like, you'd have to be... What? Yes, there's people that old. No, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, there are. I just I don't relate with the film's like other special elements besides the fact of looking at it through like a historical context. That was really the main draw for me sitting through all two and a half hours. For some reason, that was the version that I had to watch the two and a half hour version. So, 
Um, apparently, there's other versions. Cameron, because it's your first viewing, I don't want to give away my cards all the way yet of, of what I thought of it. I want to know what you thought of it because you have a lot more like um, credit, I think. Yeah, no. Um, I definitely, I don't know. I felt like this movie was... Uh, a little bit difficult to get through in terms of just its pace and uh, um, like there were so many there were many moments of the film where I was like I was like okay I know what's happening we don't need this much there's there's a lot that there's a lot of like extra scenes extra sort of moments in the film there were two sort of peaks that that I was really really interested in and that hooked me right the beginning up until um, uh, once once they got past the, um, the the sort of interlude where he, um, you know, he. I guess we should kind of explain the plot. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, it's it's about the city where uh, there's there's obviously some great social class divide. Um, you know, the workers are kind of sent underground, uh, while the the sort of richest of the rich go up to the. Uh, you know, the top of, they call it the new tower of Babylon. Um, and there's a, uh, there's a, because of there's, there's this sort of social divide. Um, our protagonist, who is the son of the leader of the city, um, he ends up sort of sacrificing in his life so that not sacrificing in his life, but sacrificing his, his sort of, uh, sacrificing his position in society to go underground and to uh, to help the workers in, you know, in sort of their their struggle against the uh, the top class. And while doing that, he ends up finding a woman who he's very much struck by. Um, and the, the the crux of the relationship is between him and the and the woman is basically he finds her she she's this sort of priestess or um i guess like prophet in in a way talking and teaching to the to the sort of lower class um and he finds her very fascinating and f- tries to follow her and tries to get um uh, uh tries to sort of get involved in the movement that she's a part of um and while this is happening there's the dad who is the you know the evil um dictator of the world or i guess he's not really evil but he's the sort of dictator of the city um and he goes along and uh <laughs> he has his evil scientist kidnap the girl and turn her into a robot uh, so that you know there's an impersonator robot who um is going around and and inciting riots in the name of this this sort of prophetess, and yeah, so the the conflict arrives from the the sort of dual, um, you know, the the peace loving, real version of this woman, as well as the the sort of destructive and um, uh, violent version of this, um, you know, the this the robot version. And, um, that's kind of the crux of the film in terms of, of where the, the dramatic pulse comes from. Um, in, in a lot of ways, it's very standard sort of sci-fi fish out of water, um, 
not I guess not fish out of water, but it's it's a very standard like um in in some ways like kind of terminator or you know a, a movie where where there's an imposter um who's sort of inciting things on their behalf and obviously it's a very political uh it has some very political implications in terms of of the dramatic force of of where this movie goes um so do do you, did i do a an okay summary i guess yeah i think that pretty much sums it up i think that the scientist character has an interesting motivation around what he's plotting against, you know, the big corporate chairman and all that stuff. It's a pretty easy to understand story. You got to remember this movie is silent, right? So there's not a lot of time to, um, it's like, there's just not a lot of dialogue, even though people are chatting, throughout the movie and then there's these like small boxes with words it's funny because we watched a movie like this before we began doing cinema spectator called battleship potemka which um was a um like uh propaganda film that was also silent and i'm not going to say that these films have a ton of things in common but it's weird how they both have to do with some sort of uprising or revolution and and uh, and almost how um the excitement of watching a movie like this right it, it comes from like these mass crowds and their movement and all these people are swaying like left and right and moving up and down the streets or they're working in the factories going quickly or you know there's just there's a lot of movement to keep the film feel like 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 it's moving it's just there's not a lot of complexity because of the lack of dialogue. I, I don't know. Like I found it, like you're saying, very, um, very easy to follow. The plot is really not all that thick. Really, it's the visual and um, the journey around that sort of central plot. I think you summarized it good, Cameron, overall. I'm really curious to know what you think of it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, in terms of its just technical ability, it is it is really, really well done. Um, excellent, in fact. I mean, it's so impressive how the the cityscape looks, how real things are are sort of moving in and out of frame, and how um, just the visual effects are, are I found to be really, really striking. I loved the moment where he's, he's sort of watching the factory workers The this is the sun. He's watching the factory workers, um, who are, who, you know, there's this explosion and then, and then all of a sudden it, it fade, the, the smoke all fades and, and he's seeing a vision of, um, sort of a, a Babylonian temple where, where people are getting sacrificed. I, I thought that was like so visually interesting and visually, um, unique and cool that I, I just felt like, man, that was, that was like really, really well done. Um, so visually and technically, like, I think this film is one of the most striking silent films I've ever seen for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe one of the most striking films until you get to sort of the 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 more um, the more common effects in in sort of the late '60s, early '70s, where you get you know things like matte paintings and and 
whatnot. They had those before, but uh, you know what I mean. Like there's there was definitely a leap in the the sixties and seventies, and this like really stands out as as something that could that does in in a lot of ways hold up today. Whether or not it's not realistic necessarily, you know the the visuals aren't um aren't like hyper real or anything, but they are very stylistic and very unique. Um, and I found that to be the most the most compelling moment. You know that that's what kept me watching sort of moment to moment was just how interesting and unique these uh, um, these visual effects were. Um, in terms of the story, though, I just found it very dull. Um, not just because uh, it's a silent movie. I think there's a there's a lot of uh, interesting stories to be told in in this you know in in that form, uh, but specifically because it was so milk toast in terms of like its its politics actually um, like obviously it's a very you know just like Battleship Potemkin um, it's a very political movie um, and I would say you know JD is one who suggested this movie earlier. Um, because he he I think he what did he say he said it was communist propaganda I don't even think it is I think it's like totally um, like milk toast liberal pop propaganda in a lot of ways um, which is which is funny to say because because it's obviously a very like uh, rigid and pretty moralistic in terms of of its you know its political uh, atmosphere and and its political sort of jargon in the film. Um, and it's also funny to say because um, guess who really loved this movie, <laughs> which I found uh, hilarious. I pfft, is it someone I know or like a celebrity or something? Yeah, so it's Adolf Hitler. Oh, yeah, it's it's Adolf Hitler and Joseph Goebbels. They loved this movie. Um, it's <sighs> German, obviously. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a movie. This is a movie that uh, left an impact on a lot of different people. But um, my point in bringing that up is is as much as it's like it's like hoorah, working class, whatever. Um, like it's a very, uh, it's like strangely. Um, I don't know. It's like it's it's very tempered in terms of its like political affiliation like at the the end of the movie i guess spoilers for this hundred year old movie but um the end of the movie is is basically like the working class and the the elite class uh shaking hands and being all buddy buddy now like they're they've oh yay they've overcome (laughs) come their differences and uh, in some ways i'm like i'm like okay but like how does that solve any of the problems that were that were in this sort of stratified uh, society? Like it doesn't it doesn't have any proclamation other than it was it. We need to be more um, we need to be more uh, gentle, I guess, with the working class or we need to be more um, compassionate. Like that's that's it really it's it's uh, it's proclamation at the end, which I just found to be a little bit. Um, I don't know. It it just felt it just felt like very milk toast, I guess, in, in terms of that. And then the story, just story wise, it's super straightforward and doesn't have a whole lot to say, other than 
uh, we need to be more compassionate to poor people, essentially. Yeah, I found the political nature of this movie to be extremely mixed. I was confused because they spend so much time establishing how terrible it is for the working class to be shoved under in the dirt and mud, operating all these different machines and then showing the high pristine upper class. You know, it's like, it's something we've seen before, you know, whether you're uh, connected to older films or you've watched something as modern as like the hunger games, it's, it's a trope that's constantly used to have some sort of um, deeper lore or some heavy statement that's behind the film. And I found, I totally agree with you, Cameron. I think the ending of this movie is more sinister than, um, like I, I really expected it to be. And the fact that you said Hitler, like the movie, I'm like, Oh, it makes a hundred percent sense. You know, like, and I, I know that's an intense criticism and I'm not saying that the movie like shouldn't have had political themes. Cause you know, it's part of it, right? Like you're getting a little bit of that dystopian feel with it. You know, I just, the ending is you're right like the 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 upper class corporate guy and the working class leader at that moment um they shake hands and it's almost like things would just be okay if they just acknowledge each other and i'm like that is not a solution that i really want to hear and it doesn't make you feel any better the entire infrastructure of the city is destroyed and they're like well okay at least we know each other, you know? And I was just like, that is a stupid conclusion. That is like a, an extremely childish ending. And it really only, um, it really only gives the people up above like bad ideas. If I'm being honest, like it's, it's like the, the corporate overheads are like, Oh, that is a good idea. If they feel like they're known, they'll be fine where they are. You know, I'm like, is that, I don't know if that's what the movie's trying to say, but it's ending statement is, you know, the, the head and the hands have to be connected by the heart or something like that. Right. And it's like, so, you know, just put a little bit of heart in it or I'm like, what? What about like like giving the the hands some gloves or something? Like why not just why not help out the little guy? Why can't we just all aim to, you know, it's not even socialist. You're right. It's 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 weird. It's a very weird um statement. So, I don't know. Do you want to elaborate more on that, Cameron, or I I found it very very strange overall. Yeah, no. I I just found it so um yeah, like you said, very very milk toast. And and what you said about about sort of it gives the the sort of upper class bad ideas. Um I kept thinking about I kept thinking that the whole time because, you know, the hero, the protagonist of our story is um is the rich guy who's loved by all of his friends who really doesn't have to sacrifice anything at all. Um you know, as much as he goes down, he goes down and basically larps and works for you know, the underclass for a couple, a couple scenes, he works for like one shift and he was like, ah, 10 hours. Oh my goodness. And it's like, and it's like, I, I don't know. I just, I found it to be like, um, that's such a, an, uh, an upper crust view. That's such an intellectual view of, of the sort of the struggles of the, of the working class. It totally feels inauthentic. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure, I don't know. I just I I felt like it was a movie 
it was totally like a champagne socialist kind of movie where it was like it was like oh these poor people oh my goodness and and like it it totally didn't have any solutions or provide any uh anything that was that was interesting in terms of its like political proclamation it just it just was um it was just boring like it didn't it didn't mean anything and it was really um I like what you said. It was very much, um, the, it, it, it didn't <laughs> other than, uh, just like, it just gave the, the upper class a way out essentially, uh, which felt, it felt just weird. It didn't, I didn't like it. Um, other than that, I mean, story wise, I thought it was, um, like the, the things that tugged me along in a sense were the, the sort of evil mad scientist who is kind of brewing this plot of turning the, the classes against each other. Um, I thought that was a really interesting motivation. It was really well executed in terms of, of, you know, he goes, he's, he's kind of entrenched himself as one of the, um, you know, the, the King or the city's leaders, uh, closest advisors. And, in terms of you know, of, that's that's definitely how it would go. Um, it it would be someone who is who is sort of on the inside and, um, in you know, infult, infiltrating in in that way. Um, and I found that to be sort of the most interesting point of the movie was when was when his plot was kind of revealed to be uh, what it was and. Watching everybody sort of the the visual montage of of the sort of the sins of the city and and sort of the debauchery and lecherousness, I found that to be really, um, really really interesting visual storytelling. Um, like you could totally you totally grasp what it was going for. It didn't have to linger on. Th- well, I mean, it did linger on things a little bit, but. It didn't have to sort of go in depth for you to understand what was going on and what was what was sort of being being detailed there. And I just found that to be the most compelling element of the story um, was that almost that sort of B plot. It it felt like something out of Game of Thrones. Like it was totally like like oh this is like interesting and politically intriguing. Like I like this. I like I like watching sort of this mad scientist's plot uh, unfold. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, he gets the, the, who's the grot or whatever, the, the guy who, who sort of is the lead, the, the lead, one of the leaders of the, the lower class, he gets him to sort of turn on his masters and lead a riot and, and sort of lead this insurrection. Like I found that to be really, really compelling. Um, and I loved the visual elements, uh, of that as well. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Do you have anything else in terms of, of sort of story wise? Cause I do want to talk a bit more about, about the visuals. No, I, I agree with you. I think that there are small little sprinkles of cool things in the story, but they're really amplified by the visuals. And I think that's a great place to dive into the, the quality of this film. I'm not going to sit here and say that. I am impressed with the visual effects because I don't really know what visual effects looked like back then. I'm no expert on that. I don't watch a lot of movies in the 20s, right? But um, 
there was a film that I could not stop thinking about visually uh, that was connected to this. And maybe it's my simpleton mind, but my goodness, I could not stop thinking about George Lucas's Star Wars prequels in, in this um, film. And whether that's, you know, Coruscant cityscape mimicking elements of Metropol- the Metropolis city in this movie, but there is literally to the T in the final fight scenes from Revenge of the Sith that are copy-pasted. <laughs> the mad scientist has a glove that is like very similar to Anakin Skywalker's glove. There is a move that he uses on the main hero where he grabs him by the neck and chokes him in a way where he's bent over the same way that Anakin chokes Obi-Wan in a sideways manner in one of the final fights. And the way that their silhouettes are grabbing each other's hands at the end, I'm like, I have a feeling that George Lucas really enjoyed this film for some reason. And pulled some of these political elements, visual elements into uh, Revenge of the Sith. And I just connected that instantly. There's a few other things that I saw, but visually, that was one of the things that stuck out to me. I know you're going to probably dive into much more of the cool camera elements. You know, there's like that wild shot when the, the water finally breaks underground and the camera like flings in forward towards the people at the top of the staircase. There's all these weird moments throughout the film that have like, cool standouts. Cameron, tell me about some of your favorite visual elements. Yeah, well, I do want to just mention, it's not you being a simpleton um, making the connection. It is definitely 100% a connection. Obviously, obviously, uh, George Lucas was was very, very influenced by Metropolis. Um, It's clear in the original trilogy. I mean, C-3PO is basically a straight rip from the the mechanical man in this movie like he is he's literally that's it you know like <laughs> that's so so yeah that that's that's totally not your imagination um it's very true and I, I totally agree Coruscant is is another one that it's like totally a great um a great parallel um I didn't actually pick up on on sort of the ending fight scene uh so interesting that you mentioned that I I'd like to go back and and sort of uh, view that again. Um, yeah, no, I, I, there's so many really cool visual tricks and, and elements of this film that I think, um, not only influenced, uh, influenced sci-fi to come, but also were just like really weird and innovative and like visually stunning. Um, I thought that Sort of, uh, I think this is kind of a, a Fritz Lang tr- trademark in, in a lot of ways, but uh, sort of the double exposures and triple and quadruple and quintuple exposures that he does, where he's laying film on top of each other, where it's, you know, he'll, he'll it'll be a frame and that frame will be filled with like eyes. Um, and it's like crazy. That's like, that's one of the coolest things I've ever seen in, in, a, in a silent movie, where it's just like, it's just like a bunch of a bunch of split frames, you know, mashed together, and they had to do that all manually. You know, that for those for those frames, they had to literally layer those those pieces of film or double expose them in a way where they were blocking part of the lens um, and exposing one part and then exposing another part. Probably what they did was interlay them, but um, but, but I mean, it's just crazy the the amount of of technical work um, that went in, that went into it. Um, another thing that's very clearly, uh, inspired 
um, more more things in the future. I, as you mentioned, um, you mentioned Bioshock, and and part of that is because um, this is a very Art Deco heavy um, film. So the Art Deco movement was was sort of a an architectural move, movement in the turn of the century to about the 30s, um, and yeah, and it was it, it was this was very much. Uh, captured that that movement was very much captured in this in this film sort of the um, interesting clocks and the sort of shapes of the buildings uh, that's very it's very classically art deco um, and Bioshock is is another that was was very deeply influenced by the sort of the look of this film um, yeah I mean there's so many things to mention I I can I kind of I'm almost intimidated trying to get into it because, you know, obviously there's like there's inspirations from from things like Frankenstein and um, and, you know, Mary Shelley, uh, kind of horror elements of it. Um, but also just like. I don't know, I found it so interesting how he how he frames um, how he frames the screen. It, it's very like. You can tell it's very flat because a lot of it was obviously um, faked, you know, it was it was either on a on a big sound stage with sort of depth perception uh, tricks that were going on, um, but the way that it that it looked so interesting and deep, like w- really impressed me. Um, I just I just got a kick out of like every time they were in it, you know, there was like. Um, the el- the first elevator scene where you're going down, um, and you see like the rear screen projection where it's like it's like thing you know the world is is kind of moving before your eyes. I just found it so um, unique for this time period. It was so interesting to watch visually. Like you mentioned, the um, the scene where it's very clearly the camera is on some sort of a um, a track where where they you know they swung it it's on like a um i don't know it's on like a pendulum essentially and they swung it uh and and that's how they got the camera to like to like move up <laughs> uh to where they are in the staircase it's like super cool and and just just fun things like that 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 you don't see you know in the movies of uh there was like it was like basically only the late 20s that you saw this kind of um, uniqueness in silent films because up to then they were really trying to establish the form, um, trying to establish the the sort of narrative structure and the verbiage and sort of um, how a movie plays out. Um, and once they hit their stride in, in sort of the 20s, then after after The Jazz Singer, which happened only a couple of years later, like five years later – um, after that, there, you know, there was a focus on sound and uh, on talking, um, and on, on sort of the, the dialogue element of movies, um, that was, uh, it, it I don't want to say it lost an element of, of visual, you know, capacity, but I, I think it did in, in some ways, you know, it did, it made movies a little bit more sterile because you, you had to stay still and you had to be mic'd essentially you know the actors kind of had to had to stay in in little stiff areas because they they would you know go outside of the mic um and so yeah so i i think this is a great example of like the latest 
the latest elements of sort of the visual um, prowess of silent film directors, this is like the the pinnacle of that. So, yeah, I totally agree with you in terms of visuals. I I agree when you were saying that it's daunting to even imagine trying to compare all the other things that pull from this movie because. You know, it's one of, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's another sci-fi movie before this technically, but this is one that I don't, I don't know a ton about movies, but I know about this movie. The, the image on the front is iconic, the art deco style, and it does not disappoint. I found it way interesting, just like you were saying, how psychedelic this movie feels at times with the layering of films, like... Uh, the 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 eye stuff is just wild when you're when you're talking about that because I was like I don't even know how they even did something like this this is this is crazy and then the whole like dancing scene with the robot lady on the piano is just really trippy and there's just a lot of strange stuff in this movie that remind like. I, all I'm thinking about in the back of my head, I was surprised I got the Star Wars connection, but Bioshock has this link to almost the psychedelic with the way that you shove drugs in you in the game, right? And then you get all these strange powers. There's this mystic element underlying this um, modern city. And even the way they reference everything, like the Tower of Babel, and there's all these like religious imagery and it's this strange mesh that somehow works where, you know, you can understand like how a lot of sci-fi movies begin to pull like this cultural and political and religious element into a futuristic lens. This movie was doing it super early on, right? Um, from links to like the crosses with the prophecy lady, like talking to people. Right. And it's in a dungeon cave. I'm like, boom, matrix. I've seen that before, you know, or, um, like the, the bustling cities and the conversation around class and all that stuff. Like it just has its hands in so many things. And what's interesting about it is that it's reaching even further. It feels like it wants to cover so much. And I think that's why it kind of comes back to like, what is it really trying to say? I don't know. It almost just wants to do. That's like its point is that it's existing. And that's why when I was saying at the beginning of the show, it's like, this is an exhibit piece. Like it is meant to go back to and view and be like, this is the, this is the hardest they're trying at that time. They're really reaching for as much as they can go for. So like that was kind of my take on the visuals camera. And I think that pretty much wraps it up. Unless you have anything else you want to add, you can move us into another section. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. This is, I don't know. It's a more interesting movie to think about and to, to sort of see clips um, than to actually watch because uh, there's so many parts of this movie where I was like, Oh my gosh, I just, we just, I get it. We just need to move on. <laughs> like, let's, let's just move forward, please. Um, so I kind of felt like, like Fritz Lang's producers who, who ended up chopping up this film because I was like, we get it. We need to, we need to keep going here. Um, take me back to, to the, the fun cityscape. Um, I don't want to see any more of this man's office. I, I just can't. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I definitely, I, I felt like it was much more, 
thinking about it was was way more interesting than than actually sitting down and watching it. Uh, unfortunately, which which is too bad because I I definitely feel like it's not without merit. You know, like it's not a movie that that you could just dismiss as like eh, it's boring. Um, it's definitely one that that like you can you can extract so much out of. Um, like I want to, I want people to bring back the, the like in overlaying like eyes and faces on each other. Like I want that back. Like that's a visual thing that, that is so cool and unique. And, and I don't know, maybe Terry Gilliam is the closest that, that gets to that of like just weird stuff that you could do with the camera. Um, but pretty much there's nobody who, who does that, um, in, in that way. Uh, so I, I don't know. I found it, um, very interesting, very uh, slow at parts and not interesting at parts. Um, honestly, like if there were, if I was showing this to a class, like I'm just thinking academically, um, if I was showing this to a class, I would probably, um, clip certain parts and just like piece them together and be like, here's the like 45 minute version of this movie. Like you get it. It's not. You don't have to you, you don't have to sit around and watch like all of it, all two and a half hours of it. You can if you want, but but for the most part, you can get it in about an hour. Um, and that's that'll that'll be the movie. It'll it'll totally be fine. Um, you know, to be cut down like that. So um I think if we if we're just getting into our ratings of the film, um, this is definitely for uh, either the curious or the cinephiles. Um, I would say it's probably for the curious. Um, because there's, if you've seen Star Wars, if you've seen sci-fi movies of any other kind, um, you're going to kind of have fun with this movie being like, oh, I know where that's from. Oh, interesting. That's where that's from. You know, uh, it's two and a half hours. So just be be aware that it is going to take a lot out of you if you want to do it in breaks. Um, totally, no, no problem. I don't, I don't see why that would, you know, be a problem for anybody. Uh, if you uh, actually, you could break it up into three sections, like they do in the in the film. You know, they have they have sort of the three sections. If you wanted to take it in chunks, um, I would rec- probably recommend that. But uh, other than that, yeah, for casuals, for sure. I think I land more on the cinephile side and it's because it comes with this academic lens. I felt like I needed to take notes during it and I refused to do it because I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to watch it. I feel like it it is checking so many anti-Isaac um, things, black and white, silent, uh, lots of subtitles, you know, and uh, yeah, it was just there were so many things that were boring about it and I was excited and delighted to see things that were interesting, but it, I can't recommend this movie. Like that's, that's where I'm like, I just, I don't know. I'm genuinely surprised that JD wanted us to watch it besides just spite and torture for me. Right. I, I don't know. Like I, cause my dad loves sci-fi. Right. And I was telling him, Hey, I'm going to watch Metropolis. You want to watch it with us? And he looked at me and said, this is, he's like, he's like, that's a movie you only really need to watch once. <laughs> like, that's what he said about it. And I was like, you know, obviously he's not, um, a, like a cinephile by any means, 
but he's usually quick to jump on sci-fi things. I'll probably watch every other sci-fi movie with him this month. And he was like, yeah, I really have no desire to, to go back and, and sit through that again. And I, w- I was like, well, I, I think that's kind of how I feel overall. Um, and that's, that's where I land on it. Um, Cameron, you can interject that or just move into shot of the film. Yeah, I, um, I sort of, uh, I guess I misspoke on the conclusion. I meant for the curious. I don't know if I said for the curious or for the casuals. If I meant for the, I did not mean the casuals. They would not like this. Uh, it's for people who are curious about sci-fi, who are interested in this, um, this sort of realm. Um, uh, you know, as much as it is sort of a, a quote unquote cinephile movie, um, it's, if you, I don't know, if you like sci-fi, I think it's, it, it kind of behooves you to, to, to watch this maybe in an abbreviated form. I don't know. Um, but I, I guess most people aren't willing to sit down and, uh, and watch a two and a half hour silent film, which I get, you know, it's all right. That's fine. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, other than that. Yeah. Let's do a shot of the film. Um, for me, I don't know. There's so many. It's, it's kind of, it's actually really difficult to pick one. Um, I love everything with with sort of the tower of quote unquote tower of Babel, where there's sort of the flying cars and the you know the big uh, bridges and whatnot. Um, those map paintings are really cool. I love the the chamber with the the upside down pentagram and uh, and the the robot uh, is just like super iconic and unique, um, and. I guess my my shot of the film is what I was talking about, where um, it's the factory and and sort of everybody's working, and then it explodes and it goes into smoke, and it, as it comes down, it's it, it turns out to be sort of a temple. He's envisioning it to be a temple um, of of sort of sin and and decadence um, that you know, and people are walking up and and sort of uh, being sacrificed to this to this temple of, um, of, of, you know, factory, this factory temple, I guess. Um, I just love that shot. I thought it was so unique visually, but also effective in a storytelling manner. Um, I thought it was, was really, really well done. So yeah, that's, that's it for me. Yeah. My shot of the film, I think actually has to be the interlaced, like film reels with all the eyes. That's just so visually interesting, unexpected for me as well. Um, it kind of comes out in a crazy way. I think the part with the dancing lady has a lot of iconic moments and it keeps cutting to that like um, hall of skeletons that are standing there and the guy has a flute or something like that. I was like, what is happening here? Like, this is just interesting. And it, And then it cuts back to... Um, the hero like in the bed being ill and then there's that weird like skeleton that has the the sickle or scythe or whatever and is like swipes I don't know like everything around that area was exciting the eyes I think that that is the shot that I'm like I'll never forget that but I agree with you Cameron on the temple thing that the temple moment was like I'm ready to see more of this weird stuff overall so yeah I if you really want to find some visuals, 
and you're drawn to the old date of this movie. Like you, I, I, I could see how you lean for the curious. I, I get that. I'm maybe just harder to crack into to all of it. So yeah, I, uh, that I think that wraps up um, shot of the film. Cameron, do you have closing thoughts on this movie or any info on Sci-Fi Month that is beginning for Cinema Spectator? Yeah, well, we're going to be going sort of through the classic ages of sci-fi. I think it's interesting because, you know, we only have four weeks to to do this. I guess that's really arbitrary. We could do more, but um, we're picking four weeks, so so that means four movies, three ages. Um, I think next week we're, we're going to hit 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, and then I, I, I kind of want to try and get into sort of the 80s and uh, maybe the 70s and 80s renaissance of sci-fi, uh, where I think the 80s have so, sort of some of the most interesting, um, unique versions of, of sci-fi. And then maybe for the last week, the vote will be modern uh, and uh, modern, lesser known sci-fi movies, um, things that Isaac won't have seen. So, um, I'm looking forward to this month. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, but overall, yeah, stay tuned. It's going to be, uh, we're going to have another really long movie next week. So good gear up for that, Isaac. I can't wait. It's going to be exciting. I think that pretty much wraps it up for Metropolis. There's a ton of good information, on this movie somewhere. The Wikipedia is a thousand pages long or whatever. So if you want to learn more about it or watch it, uh, it's available on most streaming services. And again, you can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS productions um, and get some cool benefits. We appreciate you guys. We post every Monday and we'll see you next week. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast executive produced by Darren O'Neill. If you want your name read in the credits of the show, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions to achieve this status. Thank you, Darren, for the support. And for the rest of you, we appreciate your support as well. Have a good one.